The scripture this morning will be from Proverbs 15:6. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but trouble befalls the income of the wicked. Good morning and welcome to our worship service. We're grateful for your presence. If you're visiting, as always, we count you as a guest, an honored guest. We would love to have you come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. If you're looking for a church home, please give consideration to the church here. I know that the elders here would be more than happy to talk to you about the opportunities for service, not just in this congregation, but also in this community. We're going to be looking today at Proverbs chapter 15. Before we do that, I do want to mention the youth night that we had on Friday. It was a great success. We, had, we literally had a building full of young people. And I appreciate very much the hard work that Jared put into this, into this great night. He did a lot of planning, a lot of work, and I think that we're very fortunate to have such a great group of young people. We have, in my estimation, some of the greatest young people anywhere to be found, and so we're very grateful for them. And we do have one note of, uh, I guess, one note of joy. Wendy Fletcher, who is, I think, a niece to Allison Woolley, she was baptized Friday night, and uh, so we're very grateful to, to make that known, and we're very proud of her and her decision to become a Christian, and so we pray that God will bless her with many, many years of service. And so a lot of great things going on, and a lot of great things going on with our young people, and really when we talk about the nation and the future of our nation, it may be the case that it's going to be hard to change some who are older, more mature, settled in their ways, but we can change the face of this nation with the younger generation. And so we want to do everything that we can to encourage our young people to be what they ought to be. In our lesson today, I want to talk for just a moment or two about the home. In Proverbs chapter 15 at verse 6, Solomon said, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. I really believe that godly homes can and do prosper in the sight of God. Whereas those homes that do not have godly principles, in many respects, they flounder and fail. What we want to do is equip ourselves to be successful in the home. And we talk about the home and as the nation as the nation prospers and grows, it's only going to prosper and grow as the home does. And so what we want to do is make sure that we instill within our homes the principles of righteousness. We want to do our very best to lay a foundation for Christian principles within every home. And in so doing, hopefully and prayerfully, we'll change the course of our nation. In our study today, the first thing I want to do is talk to you for just a moment or two about the faltering home. I want to begin by citing for you some facts about the modern home. And I want to share these facts with you because I think it helps us to get a portrait of the landscape of our country today. When you and I look at the home, what we need to do is look at some of the statistics that are that are out there to see as a gauge where we stand as a nation of people. 
And so let me just cite for you some statistics as we look at the home as it is. First of all, the U.S. has the highest divorce rate of any country in the world. It's really a sobering statistic. As of 2008, 40% of all marriages end, ended in divorce. I think today the statistic is about 40%. At one time, it was about 50% of all marriages ended in divorce. I think that statistic has dropped somewhat. A second statistic, divorce rates among gamblers. The average debt of pathological gamblers is 55000 to 90000 Did you know that those who gamble and those who are married that gamble, that statistically speaking, those marriages end in divorce two to one? That's a sobering statistic, isn't it? The reason I bring that out is because just right down the road we have tunica. And there are a lot of people that are attracted to Tunica. There have been a lot of things that have been written and published in magazines and abroad talking about the danger of gambling. And I think that when you, think, when you put this into perspective, that divorce rates double among gamblers. It's one of the reasons we encourage people to stay away from Tunica, to stay away from gambling. A third statistic. It is reported 75% of domestic violence is attributed to drug addiction. When individuals bring drugs into the home, whether it be chemical substances or alcohol, there is the real danger of violence, domestic violence taking place. A fourth statistic. A study suggests drug offenses are the most common crime for which parents serve time in federal facilities. Now we talk about the war on drugs in our nation. And typically we think about younger people engaging in drug usage. Well, what we need to understand is that not just young people, but older Americans are using drugs. And those drugs drive a wedge within the structure of the family or home unit. Number five, the most commonly used drug among youth is alcohol. Did you know that the average age young people begin to consume drugs is 12 and a half years? That's hard to believe. That's what, that's what about the seventh grade? In the seventh grade, there are kids all across our country that begin exper experimenting with alcohol. Number six, among adolescents finishing the eighth grade, 52% have tasted alcohol. 41% smoke cigarettes. 20% have tried marijuana. Those are some startling statistics when you think about it. That over 50% of 8th graders have tried alcohol. 41% smoke cigarettes. 20% have tried marijuana. Number seven. The U.S. has the highest teen pregnancy rate and birth rate among the Western industrialized world. What a sobering thought. Did you know that just under one-third of all girls in the U.S. will get pregnant in teenage years? Every year, 750,000 teenage girls will get pregnant. 
And I would just point out that if you look at the studies done with regard to teenage pregnancy, you'll see that in many cases, it derails those young people of a prosperous future in many, many ways. These are just some of the statistics that I want to put before you as we think about the home because it helps us to get an insight into the state of our home in America today. The real, I guess the real evidence is this. Marriages in our country are in trouble. And then we talk about our children. They too are in trouble. Just look at the statistics. Note, if you would, how our children today are being impacted by outside forces. We talk about the world and how we as members of the body of Christ are to be transformed. We're not to be conformed to the world. And yet the real world, and I guess the real world statistics are this. The world is impacting the church rather than the church impacting the world and that is sad so we talk about facts as they relate to the modern home let me just suggest this it is futile to try to build a home without God now I'm talking about a successful home if you want to try to build a successful prosperous home you're going to have to have God in the middle of it Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 127 at verse 1. The psalmist said, Except the Lord build the house, they who labor, labor in vain. It's going to be very difficult for you to have a successful home in the eyes of God if he is not at the apex of that structure. So, the futility of building a home without God. And then there's a second thing. The foolishness of building a home without God. When we talk about the Bible, the beauty of this book is it has everything that you and I need to equip ourselves to be right in His eyes. Furthermore, this, this book, is the greatest manual that has ever been written on the home. If we will simply take what God has written in His book, in His, in His Word, and we'll make application to our home, to our home lives, guess what? The chances of success are great. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about the wise and the foolish builders? I step back and just reflect upon everything that God has said in His Word about the home. To me, wisdom suggests that if I'll take those principles, embed them in, in my life, I've got a great chance to have the kind of home that God would be pleased with. But on the other hand, I am foolish to think that I can have a home that is going to be pleasing in His eyes and ignore everything that He has said in His Word about the home. It doesn't work that way. Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. He said, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Now, go back and look again at Proverbs 15. 
In Proverbs chapter 15 at verse 6, Solomon had said, in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Here's the point. If you have a godless home, you're going to have trouble. It's not going to be, it's not going to be picture perfect. It's not going to be satisfactory in the eyes of God. And in many respects, it's not going to be satisfactory to you individually or collectively speaking. But note what he says. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. We talk about the troubles of a godless home, but the treasures of a godly home. There are some inherent benefits in building our homes on the Lord. So I want to talk to you for just a moment about the fortunate home. And really the idea here is that we must build our homes on God. He needs to be at the foundation of our home life. Let's begin by talking about the husband and wife relationship. When we think about the husband-wife relationship, I guess the, what I would want to emphasize, what I would want to encourage us to see is that it has to be a triangle of love. When we think about a triangle, there is the apex. At the top of that apex needs to be God. And then at the bottom on each of those angles, you need to have the husband on one side and the wife on the other. If the husband and wife are striving to draw closer to God, guess what? As they move up those angles, they are going to meet at the top. They're going to draw, as they draw closer to God, they're going to draw closer to one another. The importance of a loving relationship with, within the context of the husband and the wife. Now back in Genesis chapter 2, after God had created mankind, he said it's not good that the man should be alone. And so God, in his great wisdom, decided to make a helpmeet. That is, a suitable answer to man's needs. And so he made a woman. The Bible tells us that he caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. While in that deepened sleep, he extracted a rib and brought the woman whom he had made unto Adam. Adam responded by saying, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Within the context of marriage, there has to be a sense of genuine love in order for that relationship to be what it ought to be. Now, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul said that the husband is to love the wife as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There is to be this sacrificial love inherent in the love that a man has for his wife. And one of the reasons that many marriages fail in our world today is because the marriage is not built on love. The husband does not love his wife as Christ loved the church. And then we talk about the wife. Paul told the aged, the more mature Christian women, to teach the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children. That, that tells me that love is a learned response. 
typically when we talk about people getting married, there is this physical attraction that brings people together. And then that relationship, as it begins to grow and to mature, there is a sense of friendship that evolves into love. Well, hopefully and prayerfully, as that relationship grows over time, that love deepens. But we have to learn to love one another. Read, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 sometime. And note, if you would, the characteristics of love. Why is love so imperative within, within the home life? Because people are not perfect. People make mistakes. And so that's why Paul would say, love suffers, lo love suffers long. Love is kind. It doesn't take account of evil. It's not puffed up. And the idea is that, that we want to make our home environment pleasing in the eyes of God. We want to do everything that we can to lend success to our marriage. And so it must begin with love. But then there's another thing that I think we need to see. We talk about the triangle of love, but then trusting in the Lord. Husbands and wives must trust in the Lord. You want your marriage to be successful. We talk about our young people who are here this morning. We want the very best for our young people. And I would, I would submit unto you that if you want your marriage to be successful, and if you are a young person and you want to one day get married and have a family and have a successful home, Begin early trusting in the Lord. You remember what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 verse 1? Remember now your creator in the days of your youth? Make plans right now to marry a Christian. Date a Christian, marry a Christian. Now I understand that there are individuals that have married outside the church. They've married a non-Christian and later have been able to convert that person to Christ. Well... There are some success stories out there. But if you want to be safe, the best thing to do, marry a Christian. Marry somebody who has the same principles, the same ideals, the same desires and goals that you do. Here's what Amos asked in the long ago. Can two walk together except they be agreed? So here's, here's a young man, here's a young woman. They both believe in the Lord. They trust in the Lord. They want to live for the Lord. Guess what? They have something great going on in their lives because they understand that they need the Lord in the middle of their home. Now Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding. One of the pitfalls among many people today is they think they can, they can build a home and they can do it the, the way they want to do it and leave God out of it. You can't do it that way. You've got to trust in the Lord. You've got to put Him first. So there has to be consecration to the Lord. Those of us who are married and those who aspire to be married one day, you've got to consecrate your life to the Lord. In other words, you've got to put Him first. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You want to have a successful home life? Make sure God is at the apex of your home. Put Him at the foundation of your home. Put him at the apex of your home. Make him the cornerstone of your life. Everything that you do, everything that you say, make sure that it harmonizes with what God in his word has taught.
And then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about set your affections on things above, not on things which are upon this earth. What we need to see as mothers and fathers, husband and, husbands and wives, young people who aspire to be married one day, is that the most important thing in life is seeking things which are above. Sometimes we get so caught up in the mundane things of life that we lose sight of heaven. We lose sight of those spiritual things. Look at all the homes today that are floundering and faltering. One of the reasons is because their eyes are not on Almighty God. There is a lack of consecration to the Lord. And then secondly, there must be a sense of cooperation in the Lord. And by that, I mean we, we need to all be on the same page. Jesus said in Matthew 12, verse 25, A house divided against itself cannot stand. If you want to make sure that your home grows and prospers and is successful in the eyes of God, you have to have the mother and the father, the husband and the wife on the same page. It's the only way it can work. Now sometimes you'll see children try to pit the mother against the father or vice versa. It doesn't work that way. They've got to work together. There has to be a sense of unity within that home structure. The psalmist talked about how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When you talk about the home, if a home is not united, if the home is not, if the home is not focused on keeping peace and harmony, it's not going to survive. There has to be a sense of cooperation in the home and let me just say this I said a moment ago that Amos in the long ago said can two walk together except they be agreed one of the reasons it's so important to marry a Christian is because if you do not have somebody of like faith that you're married to you're not going to be on the same page. And that house is going to be divided. There have been people in, in our society, past and present, there have been any number of individuals who have had a terrible, terrible home life because they have not been on the same page, religiously speaking. As a matter of fact, one of the statistics that I came across is that if two people have the same faith, chances of survival within that marriage are much, much greater. You can't be one over here and one over there and expect to survive. Now, there may be cases where that happens and, and people are able to make it work, but by and large, make sure that you're on the same page. So we talk about consecration to the Lord and cooperation in the Lord. Let me talk just very quickly about the parent-child relationship. Our young people today, our children, they need to see leadership in the home. Who is going to be the spiritual leader in the home? It begins with the father. The Apostle Paul said, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. 
We as, we as fathers are to be the spiritual leader in the home. Far too many fathers have abdicated that responsibility. They've left it to the wife, to the mother, to assume that role. It doesn't work that way in the eyes of God. If our homes are going to be what they ought to be in the eyes of God, the father has to step up to the plate and be what God wants him to be. It's not always easy to do, but it needs to be done. Now, inherent in this leadership position is the need for learning to take place in the home. We as fathers, we as, as parents, have the responsibility of teaching and instructing our children. If we do not teach them, if we do not instruct them, guess what? The world will. Now, the Apostle Paul said that we are to rear them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. When Moses wrote to the children of Israel back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said that the Israelite parents were to teach diligently, they were to teach their children diligently the law of God. Think of all of the sources, the outside sources that are bombarding our children. The public schools, in secular society, we have magazines, we have radio, television. There are so many forces at work, peers, etc. They're getting bombarded with outside information. And the outside information that they're getting from the world is shaping their mind. Well, we as parents have to make sure that we instill within our children the law of God. Think about, if you would, what Paul said about Timothy's child-rearing. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he recalled the faith that dwelt first in his grandmother Lois and then in his mother, or rather his mother Eunice, and he said, and am persuaded in you also. In chapter 3, verse 15, Paul would bring to mind the fact that from a baby, Timothy had known the sacred scriptures which are able to make, he said, him wise, to, wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so the importance of teaching and instructing our children in the law of God. If we don't teach them, no one else will. Now granted, we bring them to worship, we bring them to Bible study, we want them to be taught, we expect them to be taught. But the primary responsibility of parents is teaching and instructing. So we talk about leadership and learning, and I would also add under these thoughts, the importance of correcting our children. What's the old saying? Spare the rod and spoil the child. One of the real problems in our, in our society today is the tail is wagging the dog. If you love your children, what do you do? You discipline them. The Bible talks about the Lord loves those whom he chastens. If God chastens us, because he loves us, we as parents ought to discipline or correct our children when they're out of line. Now, we don't do it in a harsh or, or mean way, but we have to discipline our children. And then also, let me just point out that we as parents are to care for our children. We care for them physically, mentally, and spiritually. There are a lot of so-called deadbeat dads in our society today. And one of the real, one of the real things in our, in our culture is fathers 
who are walking away from their responsibilities in the home. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, said that one of the responsibilities that we as fathers have in the home is to provide for our children. Anybody, anybody can bear a child, physically speaking. But it takes a man to provide for his own. Some of these guys in our society today that don't take care of their children, they ought to be locked up in jail. It's a shame that many mothers can't support their children because the father has run off and is not taking care of them. And then also I would add communicate. Communicate with your children. Talk to them. Solomon said a word fitly spoken. When I say communicate with your children, what do I mean? Talk to them. Talk to them regularly. Find out where they are. Find out what they're doing. Find out who is of interest in their, in their lives. Find out what's going on. Talk to them explicitly about what? About drug usage? Your kids, our kids, they're being confronted every day by people in the world. And in the world, what are they doing? They're trying to give them drugs. They're trying to give them alcohol. They're trying to give them cigarettes. Talk to your kids. We need to be upfront. We need to be transparent. Just lay it on the table. Listen, here's what you're going to be facing. Talk to them. about. Talk to them about drugs. Talk to them about alcohol. Talk to them about cigarettes. Talk to them about premarital sexual relations. Tell them that what God wants is abstinence. Here's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14. That the younger women marry and then bear children. It's not the other way around. We've got the cart before the horse. Paul said that marriage is honorable in the eyes of all. But... There are a lot of young folks out here. They're being pressured into premarital sexual relations. As a parent, we have the responsibility of sitting down and talking to them in a very plain and forthright way about, listen, here's what, here's what you do not do. You do not do this because God, in His Word, said it is wrong. It's sinful. If we don't do it, who's going to? We're going to let society do it? Society, society doesn't, doesn't condemn, by and large, abstinence. And so we have to do that. And then finally, when we talk about this communication process, listen to your children. Listen to what they have to say. James said, let every man be swift to hear. When your children try to talk to you, listen to them. If, if they come into the room and you're reading the paper, reading a magazine, watching television, and they're trying to talk to you, let me, let me just offer this suggestion. Put the magazine down. Put the book down. Turn the TV off. Give them your full and undivided attention. Why? Because you only have them for a short period of time. 
If you don't listen to them, and if they don't feel comfortable talking to you and using you as a sounding board, they'll find somebody that will. And it might not be the best person in the world to listen to them. These are just some tips to have the kind of home that God would have us to have. Proverbs 15, verse 6, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure. God wants our homes to prosper. He wants our homes to flourish. And the only way they can flourish and prosper is if He is in the center of it, the foundation of it, the apex of it. Maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe your home life is not what it ought to be. Could we encourage you to come to Christ today? The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Could we encourage you to come today? If you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, to confess His name before others, to be baptized into Christ, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. Every sin will be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. Maybe you're unfaithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe you haven't been what you ought to be as a child of God. Here's the beauty of it. If you'll repent, turn back to God, He'll forgive you. John said, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why not come as we stand and sing?